I'm uh, Michael Mattis, and I want to give you a little update on uh, something very special that's been going on here with us this past week. Anybody know what that is? Power Camp. That's exactly right. And I tell you what, about midweek, I had a little, um, man, I guess you could call it a crisis of faith or something. I, uh, I came walking up this hallway to Pastor Steve's office and Pastor Jim's office, and I stuck my head in and said, there just hadn't been any kids that have really come to Christ. I mean, our staff is amazing. I'm seeing life change on our staff. But, but our kids just, I don't know, it just hasn't quite happened yet. And Friday rolled around, and there was an absolute landslide. An absolute overwhelming landslide. We had, you guys got to buckle your seatbelts. We had 53 little ones. I figured that... Uh, you people must be praying. Who's wearing your bracelet? Let me see. If you weren't here the week we gave out the bracelets, you can grab one uh, down the hall in Vicky's office. But that's kind of our reminder. This is a power camp bracelet, and we were just praying. But, you know, um, I, it was just so moving. We have a separate elementary school and middle school uh, meeting, and there's a number of elementary school students who came to Christ. And then I asked Rachel Glasgow. Rachel's sitting right over here next to Jim. Wave at us, Rachel. I'm going to embarrass you. She gave this middle school um, message that was so poignant and so powerful. And she really kind of uh, diced the line of, um, you know, once you ask Jesus into your heart, you're saved. It, it's, it's permanent. You don't have to do it again. And then she kind of shared how she had sort of gone through the motions and there were some empty words. And then this moment when, she, when the Lord really came in and she sort of shared this authentic conversion experience. And I watched some of our own little ones who've been in church and who've probably even prayed the prayer, so moved by her words. I watched them come down and join us down front and really accept Christ. I mean, it was so powerful. We have a budding evangelist over here, Rachel. You're, I mean, it was awesome. Can we give the Lord a hand? I mean, 53 kids. And, you know, I, we, I, I hate numbers. I've got to be honest with you. But on the other hand, I was... One of the numbers once. I was a lost little one that many in this church prayed for and prayed me back in from the, the outermost darkness. Come on, some of you know that. Yeah? Amen. And the reason we throw that out is because every one of those numbers has a name and a face and a personality and a story and a family and every one of those details matters infinitely to our Heavenly Father. Amen? I'm going to call one of our coaches up here in a minute, but before I do, um, since I've already embarrassed Rachel, I'm going to embarrass her even more. I, I mean, I got to see you, I, Jim and Suzanne. I am so uh, just proud of this young lady. I mean, she is so full of the Lord. It was so beautiful to watch her work this week. So, Rachel, um, every, every camper who comes to Christ, as I drop my thing here, um, every camper who comes to Christ, we take a Bible and we inscribe their name in the Bible so you can see their name from the Power Camp staff. It just says 2014. And then on 6, 27, 14. So we had that all done. And then Rachel grabs the boxes and goes back and wrote a personal message, a sort of a prophetic message in every single Bible. Is that beautiful? I mean, is that beautiful? I mean, it was just absolutely amazing. And, and she'll probably throw something at me later for embarrassing her. But I was just so moved. That's real love. You know, that's real sacrificial love. She sat there and prayed over them all, and we got a little group, and we all just prayed. And um, I don't know. It, it, was, it was just amazing. 
This, uh, I'm going to embarrass another one of our staff. This is Coach Parker Anderson. Parker's up here. Come on, wave at us. He's up here with our Power Camp Sunday crew. Every Friday, we have a closing ceremony at 3 o'clock. And one of the staff members, or one of the campers, rather, was being checked out early. And this particular camper had been at surf camp all week with Coach Parker um, and Coach Rob. And uh, this particular camper came to Christ. And somehow his name didn't get on the list. I'm not sure what happened. But Parker led this little guy to Christ. And I watched sort of in this in, in the FLC lobby as I sent somebody to get a Bible because this guy didn't get a Bible, handed the Bible over to Parker, and Parker proceeds to write his name in it and then write him a personal message. I mean, it's just this is real love, people. This is what's happening back there is there's real relationship and real love. And there's 65 some staff members who are just doing it. I mean, they are just laying their hearts out there and, and, and moving on these, these kids. And it's, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm so blown away, I don't know what to do. Can we give the Lord another big hand? He uses us, doesn't he? Amen. April, will you come up here? This is uh, April Hubbard, and uh, she's a friend of mine. I've known April since gracious. The late 1999, maybe 2000, somewhere in there. I think so. Yeah. And uh, you and your husband, Buck. Buck, I saw you earlier. Where are you? There's Buck right back here, and they have two precious kids, Phoebe and Buckley, up here somewhere. Here we go over here. But uh, April came on with us as a power camp coach last summer, and this summer uh, she asked to coach our kayaking. You want to tell us a little bit about that? And I have some photos as you as you talk. I'll just roll through them. Um, I'm so blessed to get to be part of Power Camp and to get to be doing the kayaking. This week I got to coach with Coach Rachel. Um, and we took 10 campers out um, down to Fort Fisher, the end of Fort Fisher, and paddled across the Fort Fisher Basin over to Zeke's Island. And a lot of these kids had never been over in that area. Um, it was really neat to take them out and um, we took some crab nets and some dip nets and crab lines and um, let these kids see what's under the water right here next to us. We live next to the ocean. And um, just to get to experience God's creation up close and personal and pick, you know, see these blue crabs that God created and how beautiful they are, the beautiful blue color and um the red tips on the ends of the claws of the girls. And we said that the girls, we can tell they're girls because they like to have their nails painted. And, um, <laughs> you know, for these kids to get to go and see that was just such a blessing to me. It was a perfect, perfect day. The Lord, like, just aligned so many things this week on our kayak trip. Um, even just blessing Rachel with getting to go to Zeke's Island. Just found out a week or so ago she was on the ferry and said she wanted to go over there. And lo and behold, she got to go there this week and didn't even know she was going to be on the kayak trip. Like the Lord's blessing, even us as coaches and blessing the children. We had an awesome devotion time with them in the, van, uh, the bus on the way back. And um, I was really blessed to see at the closing ceremony about half of the campers who were on our kayak trip went up and had accepted um, Jesus this week at camp. And um, it's, it's just a blessing that I, I'm blessed to be part of this. And um, Well, you know, April came to me, um, I don't know, some months ago and said, you know, I've really got a vision for this, this kayak thing. And she used to guide kayak trips at UNCW. And um, 
you know, as you can see from some of the photos, I mean, she they, they just put together a remarkable little, maybe I'm pressing the wrong button here. There we go. There's some of the dip nets. Um, but it, I think it was just an extraordinary experience. And, you know, if half the kids are coming back and accepting Christ, you guys are really, you're really marking them. You know, you're, you're really touching hearts. And, and that's really what this is about. That's why we do power camp. I mean, we're on a mission, you know, we're having fun. And um, I also heard uh, from from Coach Linda, Coach Linda wave at us and Coach Cynthia up here wave at us. They did a sewing specialty this week and half of their campers who were in there also came to Christ. So, you know, it's the relationships that are touching people's lives. And then in the context of those relationships, we have campers who are who are coming to Christ and, and lives are being changed for eternity. I mean, just awesome. Let's see what else we got here. Oh, yeah, there's just a good final parting shot, I think. We have so much fun. Um, the other thing that I would kind of like to do is switch gears, because, April, you have been um, sort of a part-time staff member here since December. And uh, you came on as a pre-K sort of coordinator. So that means for our infants, our toddlers, our pre-K two- and three-year-olds, and our pre-K four- and five-year-olds. Why don't you tell us a little about that? Um. Well, like Michael said, I get to help uh, coordinate the volunteers and prepare the classrooms and get the curriculum together and the crafts and activities for our youngest children here at Myrtle Grove, um, the babies all the way up through kindergarten. And, yeah. She does it. <laughs> well said. She does a great job with, with curriculum and just preparation, and there's just so much love. And I think if you've ever seen her with her own kids, you know, she's just a great mom and does a great job with our groups. But I did, on a, on a note sort of separate from Power Camp, I wanted to educate us just a little bit. And, and April and I made a little chart. Um, and I think I have a little laser pointer here. Look at that. I do. Okay. So uh, here's our little chart. But this is just to help you guys understand. Um, this is a formidable task. And it's going to get easier as we go to one service for the next seven weeks. But, but there's a lot of um, volunteer slots that are available with our pre-K age group. So I want to educate you, and then we're going to invite you to be a part. Um, but up here, as we go, this is, I guess this is post-July 13, once we go to our, our one service. Um, but at the 9 a.m. discipleship classes, we do have an infant group, although they're in with the toddlers. So we have one class right here. Then we also have a pre-K 2- and 3-year-old room and a pre-K 4- and 5-year-old room, and they're joined. So we have sort of two classes going right here, and we need two adults at each class. So that's four adults here during the the discipleship class time. And then I actually should have written 10.30. We made this before I think the session had made their final call on time. But this will be a 10.30 church service, and during that we have infants, toddlers, pre-K 2 and 3, and pre-K 4 and 5. So there's, uh, there's basically six classes. We need two people in every class. We need 12 people. So it's, it's a lot for April to, you know, recruit and, and get 12 people in here. So we wanted to sort of uh, invite you all, if you would be willing, to give one hour once a month or one hour every two months. So not a lot, but one hour once a month or one hour every two months, I would invite you to come down and talk to her after the service where there's a little sign-up sheet right here. You can just buy this little in front of the, the piano. Um, you can come down and put your name on that. But, you know, we really want to invest in our kids in such a way that, that we leave a lasting impression on their hearts about who the Heavenly Father is. Amen? And you, and you guys can be a part of that. Come hold a baby. Come hang out with some kids. I mean, it really is when you get out of yourself and start to serve, it changes you, doesn't it? So we want to invite you guys to be a part of that. And then uh, lastly, do you have anything else on, on any of that I'm just jabbering on? I do want to say thank you to our volunteers who have been, our, 
our faithful few who continue to come each week and serve. Um, we appreciate all that you do. And our children are being blessed as you are being blessed. Um, so thank you for sharing Jesus with them. Amen. Well, let's close and let's just pray for this next week of Power Camp. Um, and let's pray for our, all of our pre-K ministries and our Power Camp Sunday kids. I invited them to stay with us. Um, but let's pray. Lord Jesus, we honor you. Um, you're the one that is reaching um, children. And you're the one whose name is being made famous. And we so celebrate that 53 little people gave their lives to Christ. Father, that's, that's remarkable. And so, God, we celebrate our, our Power Camp Sunday crew who's here now and even walking out to do their, their programming. Lord, would you bless them? Would your spirit be upon them? Um, Father, we pray for our pre-K group that April leads so well. Lord, would you continue to give her creativity and brilliance? And um, Father, would you bring uh, some volunteers to, to help give of their time? Um, to honor our kids. And uh, Lord, we love you. We look to this next week of Power Camp. And Father, would you increase our faith and would you increase our expectation that you want to disciple coaches. Um, you want to change the lives of young adults. And then you want to impact um, children and even their families. And Lord, we're going to stand together as a church by faith and believe that as we really love people, that you're going to use that love to create the beginnings of revival here in Wilmington. Lord, we believe that. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Can we give April a hand? Thank you, April. Thank you, Michael. It's been, um, it's been quite a journey just to watch what God's doing in our midst. And If you were here last week, I, I shared on the love of God, and um, I've just been sort of undone with that theme and the goodness of God. And this morning I want to share um, sort of in that same vein, if you will, part two of how amazing is God's love. Um, Rachel, um, I just feel like the Lord was saying to me, stand up, girl, I'm prophesy over you. I always felt like the Lord was saying to me that what you wrote in those handwritten love letters to other people is just a foretaste of what God's going to pour out in you and through you in the days to come. That your eyes, though they are open, have not yet fully seen, nor have your ears heard, nor has your heart fully gotten what God has in store for you uh, and specifically through you to a multitude of people. Uh, Pastor Jim and some others, let's pray for, for Rachel. Um, God, I just want to thank you that you are big in her. And God, I thank you that you are big in each one of us, your people. And God, I want to thank you that honestly we have not yet seen the exploits that you're going to accomplish, not because of us, but because you are in us, because you move through us. And so, God, I just want to bless this woman of God today and thank you for her entire family and, more importantly, for the family in which you have joined her by adoption through a supernatural working of the cross in her heart. Bless her, God, and let her eyes see 
so much more for your purposes in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I felt like there's so much more, Rachel, but I just wanted to just want to share that. Let me read this morning, if I may, because uh, our our time slips away from us so quickly. Turn, if you would, to First John chapter three, and let me read the text beginning in verse sixteen. And when when Rachel wrote in the picture of that little Bible. There was a prophetic word in it that some of you may have picked up. She was speaking to brand new uh, or recently converted people. And she was calling those things that are not yet seen with the natural eye as if they were. She was saying things like, "You, God's love for you is so amazing and you're going to do amazing things for God. That's the essence of the gospel. And John writes in uh, 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 16. Let me just read the text from 16 to 24. Very different from what I shared this morning in the first service, but essentially the same. John says to to his followers, now John was the disciple that, that... He said Jesus loved. If you read the Gospel of John, he says it on five or six different occasions. I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. And you sort of, I read that and I go, how arrogant of him. And yet, John carried something in his heart that we are beginning to see. That God loves each one of us. That that God's love is absolutely so overwhelmingly amazing that once we see how much God loves us and how he demonstrated that on a cross, it absolutely transforms what we believe about God and how we live and how we love in this world. John says this, the disciple whom Jesus uh, loved, by this we know Love, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And then John transitions to, okay, isn't that awesome? Jesus, God loves us, and he shows us his love through the cross, and Oh my, we got to lay our lives down for one another. And then John moves to the practical outworking of that love, and he says this. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need or need around him and then shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide, live in him? My little children, let us not... Just love in our words, or love by virtue of what we say, but let us love in deed and in truth. And then John says, by this we know that we're of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. What do you mean by this? By this, by this um, 
abiding in his love and sharing in tangible ways when we see needs around us. By this, uh, we shall assure our hearts. And verse 20 says, for if our heart condemns us, God's greater than our heart, and he knows all things. And beloved, verse 21, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Now, verse 22 then, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, John, the beloved disciple, writes then in verse 23, uh, and this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Just as he gave us command. Verse 24 then says this, Now he who keeps his commandments, and they are to believe on him whom he has sent, and to love one another, he who keeps his commandments, abides in him, lives in him, and he lives in us. And by this we know that he abides and lives in us by the Spirit whom he has given to us. If you'll hold your finger there for just a moment, Mark's Gospel, in chapter 1, Jesus came into this this world, the God-man, the covenant-keeping man. And the very first thing that he said in Mark's Gospel, and I'll read it from verse 14 and 15, It says, now after John was put in prison, that is, John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus came preaching the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he was saying, the time is now fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, change your mind, and believe the good news. Now, it's the inbreaking of the kingdom that John's talking about in 1 John chapter 3. John understood Jesus. He wept with Jesus. He laid on his bosom. He had the revelation of who Jesus was. And Jesus came uh, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, that, that the kingdom of God is now breaking into human history. And Jesus then said there's a number of things about this, this gospel It is good news, and he invited the people to repent and believe 
the good news that God is good. Now, I'm afraid that the southern conservative church in America has trivialized the gospel and what it means to repent. See, we read the text that Jesus came preaching the good news of the gospel, saying that now is the time, repent, and and we start making a checklist of how we've messed up all of our life. And we read it as if, if I can take care of all of those things in my life and repent from them, then somehow I'll be okay with God. Beloved, that's not what Jesus said. He said to repent means to change one's mind by believing what God has said. And what God has said is that I am changing things radically right now and I'm doing it through this man, Christ Jesus. He was walking among us. We saw Him. We couldn't figure out who He was, but He radically changed everything. The Gospel, therefore, is first of all to believe what God has said. And secondly, to love as God has loved. 1 John chapter 3, that disciple whom Jesus loved, said, this is the only way. I'm putting in only. This is, this, by this we know love. Beloved, there's no other way you and I can ever understand what love is until we look at the cross. By this we know love because He, Jesus, laid down his life for us. Selah. The psalm just means, think about that. You see, the inbreaking of love is really what transforms a person's life. It's not how religious we can be, not how many things we can clean up about our life. It's believing something different. Believing that, that God is good and has a, a plan for my life. And this plan has to do with the cross. It's the, it's the sum, it's summoning people into an absolutely different way of, of believing and living. And it's summoning people into an absolutely radically different lifestyle. So that John says, this is the only way we can know what love is because he laid down his life for us. And therefore, we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Now, now by this time, you're probably going, this is, this is impossible. Yeah. You can't do it. It's absolutely impossible. And what Jesus was announcing is that God is doing something absolutely new. Behold, now I do a new thing upon the earth. Jesus, the Son of God, took on flesh and walked among people because, folks, you could never do it. Nor can we do it. But the good news of the gospel is we get to believe God and what He has said. And what He has said is that if we would believe... 
in the one whom he has sent, he would radically transform our hearts so that we could then begin to love the way he loved. How did Jesus love? He laid down his life. And beloved, God calls us to lay down our lives for one another. And now now he shifts, John shifts into, okay, the practicality of it. If you, if you uh, have these, this world's goods and see your brother in need and close your heart from him, how does the love of God abide? There's the word, live in you. You see, little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but let us love in deed and in truth. And that's how we'll have confidence that we're of the truth. Now, I want to skip down to verse 22 because this is the impossibility of what we're reading here grips the heart of a human being. Anybody know that besides me? This is impossible. And see, that's the truth. We have somehow believed the lie that to live the Christian life, I can do it in my own strength. If I just stop smoking cigarettes could be one example. Do you see how we trivialize the gospel? Now, smoking's bad for you. Don't under, misunderstand what I'm saying. Oh, oh, if we don't drink a beer, maybe. If I don't... And, and the gospel isn't about what you don't. The gospel is about what God has done. And that begins to transform the heart so that we believe correctly about who God is and we begin to then love correctly because He's first loved us. So that if you then see your brother in need and shut up your heart and not give, therefore, and share that love that you say you have, uh, how does the love of God abide in you? So therefore, verse 18, 1 John 3, My little children, aren't you glad God calls us little children? The tenderness of John. My little children. First John 3, 1 John 3.1 Behold what manner the, of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children. You see, we are His children not because of what we don't do. We are His little children because we have believed the gospel that God has something so amazing in His love for me that it transforms a human heart. The old sin patterns that we have lived in for so long are transformed not by what we do, but they're transformed by who I believe. And when I believe Him, I begin to be transformed in my heart and begin to live the way He's called us to live. So verse then... Uh, 22 says, and whatever we ask of him, when we're living this way, whatever we ask of him, we receive because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. We keep his commandments and we do what's pleasing in his sight. And all of a sudden, many of us are thinking, oh, there's 623 commandments and I got to keep them. No, that's not what John said. What he said is, when we keep his commandments, and these are his commandments, verse 23, that we should believe on the one whom God has sent, even Jesus. And secondly, that we love one another. As he gave us commandment. I want to end with verse 24, and then give you a handful of shifts that the Spirit of God is doing upon the face of the earth right now. Verse 24 says, Now, 
He who keeps his commands, and they are, number one, to believe, and number two, to love. When we keep his commandments, he abides in us. A little Greek word, minnow. Well, not minnow, minnow. Meno, M-E-N-O, however you want to pronounce it. To abide means to actually live in. It's the same word that's used in John chapter 15 where Jesus said, um, I'm the vine and you are the, the branches. Uh, he who abides lives in me. He it is who bears much fruit. Because apart from me, fill in the blank, you can do nothing. The impossibility of what we're reading here in our own strength is you can do nothing without abiding and living in Him. Now let's finish the reading here in verse 24. Uh, He who keeps His commands to believe and to love abides in Him, lives in Him, and He in us. And by this we know that we abide, that He abides in us by His Spirit whom He has given to us. Now, if you're wondering, gee, this seems so hard. No, it's impossible. And and see, that's where God has to get a man or a woman to. That this is absolutely and utterly impossible. Because if we think we can, we will think we can. And the fact is, there's only one man who can, and that was Jesus. And God said, believe on him, and he'll show you how to love. Now, let me unpack that just a little bit. What's it mean to abide in Jesus, and Jesus abiding in you by the Spirit? Now, every one of us looks at each other after the flesh. Look at Dean. Stand up, Dean. I'll embarrass you for just a second. Everybody look at Dean. There you go. That's Dean Hewitt. He's an anointed man of God. But here's a... You, okay, sit back down. <laughs> Some of you look at Dean and you, you, you evaluate him based upon physical characteristics. We regard one another after the flesh. But God doesn't see Dean that way. You see, God regards Dean... After the Spirit. In other words, God doesn't see Dean's physical stature. Aren't you glad He doesn't see your physical stature? Aren't you glad God doesn't look at all of your mistakes, your foibles, and your failures, and then tell you to clean it all up? And if you clean it all up, if you really clean it all up, then I'll love you. No. The Father has sent His Son into the world so that we might believe on Him. And in the moment of believing on Him, really believing, God does something in the heart of a human being by which we begin to see God the way He sees us. You see, the Gospel is the good news, and we're invited to change our mind and believe the good news. And then secondly, when we believe that good news, we begin to to live out of what He's done for us. What He has done for us is this. When you look at the cross, 1 John 3, 16, you begin to see what love really is. And on the cross, Jesus died for our sin. We all get that. 
Every tribe of the Christian family gets Jesus died for us. What we don't get is is that Jesus really died as us. That's Romans 6. You read what the Word says. When Jesus died, I died. So, So God no longer sees the old. God only sees the new. You see, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. God sent Jesus to die for us, but Jesus also died as us. When He died, I died. That's why we no longer regard one another after the flesh, but after the Spirit. But beloved, I'm going to push it a little bit further. Because verse 24 says, We abide in Him, live in Him, and He lives in us. And we know that by the Spirit whom He has given to us. Jesus took our penalty on the cross. He paid for everything by which we should have to have paid for it ourselves. And Jesus went to that cross and He pronounced it as finished. He redeemed me by the blood of Jesus. The cross is really necessary. The cross was really sufficient. When Jesus said it is done, it was done. And Jesus then went into the grave and from that grave was raised again so that if we died in Jesus, we were also raised with Jesus. You are now raised with Jesus. Jesus died for me. Jesus died as me. And Jesus now lives in me. That's what, that's what John understood. If you abide and live in Him, He abides and lives in you, and He does it by the Spirit. When Jesus was raised from the dead, He actually showed Himself to over 500 people. Check the hands out. It's really happened. I was dead. I died for your sin. Now I'm alive. And He ascended back to the Father. Now from that exalted place, the Father and the Son have sent forth His Spirit to live in the hearts and in the lives of people like us. He's holy. The Holy Spirit now lives in me. Jesus died for me to pay the penalty for my sin. Jesus died as me. And Jesus now lives in me. That's the Gospel. It doesn't have a whole lot to do with all these other little things. It has to do believe, to believing on Him. And it has to do with then beginning to love as He loved. Now, how do you love as He loved? Jesus didn't just die for us. Jesus didn't just die as us. Jesus lives now in us. Now, watch this. Jesus wants to live His life, His life, through us. So when God looks at any one of us, He no longer sees you. Aren't you glad? In our weaknesses, in our failures, in our foolishness, in our buffoonery, in all the stuff that we humans do, and I lead the charge, God doesn't look at me anymore. He looks at His Son, who paid it all on a cross, who was raised from the dead, and on the day of Pentecost... The Father and the Son sent forth His very presence to live in our life. Now, it's a game changer. You see, how do we then love is what John in chapter 3 is asking. How do we love? How do we, how do we, 
Well, how we do it is that he now lives in us and he now loves through us. He died for my sin. He died as me on the cross. He lives in me. And now God is living his life through me. Now, when we repent, Jesus came saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and believe the good news. It's not about stopping something. It's about believing what God said. God's going to make everything new and He's already begun it in the likes of people like us. You, beloved, if you have believed in the gospel, are absolutely already brand new. Now, it may not have manifested itself in certain ways, but in the spirit realm, you are already brand new. Jesus is living His life in you and Jesus is now living His life through you. Follow me. That means everywhere you go, you are a representative of the kingdom of God. Makes no difference how you feel, whether you feel on top of things or whether you feel below things. The reality is the spirit of God is now in you and is walking and loving other people through you. Now, there's one final thing, and I'm going to share just a few little things here. Jesus lives his life as you. He died for you. He, he died as you. He, he lives in you. He, he walks now this world and shows himself through you. And Jesus now is you. Now, now follow me. That brings a whole new understanding to now we are the body of Christ and members one of another. It's no longer me who lives, Paul says, but him who lives in me because I've been crucified with Christ. I didn't make this up. And nevertheless, I live. And yet not I, but Christ who lives in me and this life that I now live, I live by the faithfulness of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, beloved, here's what I want you to catch as we end. When you meet people today, it's not you who is meeting them. It's Jesus. I know. It's mind-blowing. Because I think it's all about me. And you think it's all about you. And the fact is, it's not about either. It's about him. Now, let me give you five or six shifts that begins to change uh, when we uh, begin to understand that we have believed God and we now are enabled and empowered to love because it's no longer us loving. Find an enemy. Find somebody that just messes with your stuff. You know what I'm saying? And God says, okay, that's a person. Try this out. See if Jesus can love that person through you. There's a shift that's happening. And the first one is that the nature of the kingdom of God is radical and aggressive love. You see, all you need to do is look at the cross. You think I'm making this up? The kingdom of God, the nature of the kingdom is radical and aggressive and bold love. 
And that's what John said. You see, if we, it, this is love, not that we love God. This is love. He showed himself by dying on a cross. So it's radical and aggressive love, and God wants to show that love to the world. That's what John's saying. Now, we can no longer love people to get them converted. See, we got targets on people's back. We want to get scalps on our belt. No, it's not. It's not you that converts anybody. It's you that loves people. It's God in you that loves people and God converts people. See, we can no longer love people to get them converted, but we can love people because we're converted. Shift number two. The kingdom demands that we join God in his mission. See, I'm just tagging along for the ride. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe the good news, and let me love other people through you. I know this is going to take some time. The mission of God is not just to us. It's also through us, to the people beyond us. And you and I need to understand that we're ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us, saying to them in acts of love, be reconciled to God. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, 5 and following, 15, 16, 17. Make friends with unbelievers out there. They won't pollute you. Why? Because Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. And Jesus is living his life fully in me and in us. And Jesus wants to engage and, and love other people through us and even as us. A third shift is that the kingdom of God is bigger than our church. Not everything's about Myrtle Grove. Michael used the word little on two occasions this morning, our little church. And I thought, you know, we, don't need, to st- we need to stop saying that. But the fact is, in the economy of the kingdom, we're pretty little. You see, we've got to quit seeing our church, that the kingdom of God is, is equal to our church. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of the church are two different things. And Jesus has enlisted us into the kingdom of God because God is now living his life in us and through us. The love of God has to go to the world, beloved. The love of God has to go to the public square. And each one of us is a carrier of God's love. Each one of us. He died for me. He died as me. He lives in me. He lives through me. And now he wants to live his life as me. All I need to do is suit up and show up. Takes the pressure off. You hear what I'm saying? God, Kevin is in you. And when you go to work tomorrow, every one of you, when you go to work tomorrow, God's going to work in your body. Are you kidding me? No. We thought Christianity was a religion. Christianity is a radical lifestyle because God's converted our hearts and His desire to live in our lives and show Himself off through us. We're a carrier of His love. The kingdom of God is activated when we believe what God says and when we then love because He loves in us and through us. The test of whether we truly believe, John says, is whether we truly love. You see, it's impossible. There are people you can't love. But there are people that God can love through you. And if you allow him to love them 
as you. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. That we're his kids. And that the Father has stepped into, incarnationally into a man, Jesus. And now Jesus incarnationally steps into us so that the world could begin to see what real love and real faith is about. And it has nothing to do with you and your foibles. That's good news. That's what Jesus came saying. The kingdom of God, the good news of the gospel has broken in upon you. The church can no longer evaluate our success based upon our size, but on the impact and the influence we have in our city and in the world. God does not care whether we have 500. God doesn't care if you have 5,000. God's not really interested in numbers. He's interested in influencing people through people who know Him and love Him. And you are that people. And that's a game changer. It's a shift. It's happening right now upon the earth. God is shifting our understanding of kingdom. The old paradigm was head, understand it, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then after some period of time, you might get it in your heart. And then eventually you might extend a hand. God's changing that. The shift has already begun to happen. That God's shifting our understanding of kingdom to because God is now in you, all you got to do is extend your hand. And when you extend your hand, you begin to see something about your heart. That's what John was saying. And when you see something about your heart, it eventually impacts then your head. And we've gotten it around. We've gotten it turned upside down. God wants us to simply allow Him to extend His hands through us. And you don't have to understand it first. The kingdom of God is good news. We have to stop being tribal. Tribal is a word that many people are writing about in these days, and the tribe is, we're a tribe, we're a family. But tribal can also mean that, that it's just us and no more, and people have a hard time getting in our tribe. You, you see, it's about consumerism. It's our tribe. It's what we like. And, and tri- tribality means, if that's a word, it's a comfort agenda. And God said, oh, no, I didn't come to make you comfortable. I came because the inbreaking of the kingdom is so radically connected to love that I'm capturing the hearts of a people. I'm going to live my life in them and through them and now as them. And it's going to radically transform every tribe. Before this thing is over, beloved, those who understand and believe the gospel and begin to let God love through them, there's going to be one tribe. There's going to be one tribe upon the earth, and it's those people who have been converted into believing God and loving, let God loving, love people through you. We've got to break down our tribal mentality. God's serious about getting the salt out of the salt shaker. You see, we all laugh, but that's where we have to risk. Risk what? Do we really believe God or don't we? Do we just believe God in the tribe when everybody believes the same way and agrees the same way? But what about when people disagree? 
It's okay. God came for them too. I didn't always believe, did you? I was lost as a who knows what, and so were you. Until you believed the good news that God loved you, and now the rest of the good news is God wants to love other people through you. And only He can do it. A couple more here. Every believer is a minister of the gospel. When you said yes to Jesus, He ordained you as a minister of the gospel. God is shifting things right now. He's no longer going to let a handful of clergy birds do the work of ministry. Is that good news, Alan, or what? One of our pastors visiting from out of town. You see, every person is a minister. That was one of the clarion calls of the Reformation. The priesthood of all believers. God's now living His life, making His appeal through us. It's God in us. It's God through us. It's God living His life as us. You see, we have to evaluate now our personal assets in light of the kingdom. What has God given to you and to me that He now wants to use for His kingdom? Because Jesus said it's already at hand. There are people upon the earth right now who are living in the magnificence of the kingdom of God. What are your personal assets? What I mean by that is as we abide and live in Him, and as He, John says, abides and lives in us, we get to use our jobs right now as ministry opportunities. God making His appeal through us. See, what are your personal assets? Because you're a minister of the gospel, because you've been enlisted into the family, because you've been given the life of God now, all you need to do is show up and begin to love people because you, believe, you have believed God. You begin to love your neighbors. Now, guess what? God's going to let you decide how to do that. And all you need to do is step into it And as you meet a neighbor, you need to remember that your neighbor is meeting God just by virtue of your presence. So we share the gospel by virtue of love. And sometimes we get to tell people and use our words. The shift is happening upon the earth. You see, every ministry in any church must be evaluated upon what's happening through them and not just to them. You see, to them is tribal. We all, yeah, 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 we all do the same dance. But it's not about ministry any longer to us. It's about ministry through us because the God who made everything around us now lives in us, through us, and as us. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, is at hand Repent, that means change your mind and believe the good news of God's love. And when you do it, the Holy One of the universe steps into flesh in your life. I think that's what Jesus meant when He said, unless a man or woman is born again from above. You might be here this morning and you go, you know what, I don't, man, this is different, this is new. The gospel is always new. And by it, He makes us new so that we understand a bit with our heads and our hearts and we release Him to live His life through us. Husbands, when you see your wives, you can see Jesus in her. And she can see Jesus in you. Well, my husband's a cantankerous. Well, 
you know, it's a journey to be sure. But when, aren't you glad? But when you begin to realize who you are, who God is, and that you carry the absolute presence of God everywhere you go, and when people meet you, Mitch, they're not meeting Mitch. They get to see Jesus living his life as Mitch. Let's pray. God, thank you for such a sweet ministry that you've given unto us. That we should be called your children. Your word says, for now, we are your children. And it goes even further than that. You're our daddy. But you're revealing upon the earth in these days. Sons and daughters. Who understand who you are. And will love as you have loved. Because they recognize that you're living and that you're loving through them and now as them.